Let me ask you, friends, have you ever treasured something so much uh, to such an extent that you would go to great lengths to mend it uh, should something happen to it along the way? Well, that's the extent that God treasures us. God treasures each one of us who are a part of his family. I'm just thinking about that song, what a beautiful name it is, Jesus. God willingly picks us back up as we've slipped, as we've fallen, as we've gotten hurt, as we've tried to climb Mount Everest and fallen off. As we become worn and haggard in this life, would we say in God's hands that we're treasured and restored? Let's talk about that word, restored. Maybe you've had a vehicle, a piece of furniture, an article of clothing that uh, you've had restored somewhere along the line. Maybe you can relate to the following story. A middle-aged woman named Heather McLeod shared with a garment restoration service the details on a dress one day that she had treasured since her childhood. Pulling it from its box, placing it on the counter, Ms. McLeod had tears in her eyes. She was obviously attached to its history, shared in its uh, sentimental value with her family. After she received the garment back in a condition uh, unlike she'd witnessed, Ms. McLeod would comment, this dress had been in the attic for many generations Fortunately, it was well taken care of. But I realized, she said, that a dress that was 116 years old would need proper cleaning and repackaging in order uh, to prevent uh, degradation. On its website, this garment restoration service actually highlights Miss McLeod's visit by saying, it's typical for garments over 100 years old to be in less than ideal storage conditions. This can sometimes make cleaning, make restoration much more difficult. This particular heirloom dating back to 1899 was clearly in more favorable storage conditions, making it easier to restore. Their website continues to note the goal of the company. Quote, taking items that mean so much to our customers and returning them to their original beauty. Restoration, we preserve garments so they can last for years to come and continue to be passed down for generations. By definition, Heather McLeod's antique dress had been treasured and restored. And if we were people who were treasured and restored, that would probably be enough to expect from our God, right? But while God certainly preserves his children, he doesn't just put us in the same old packaging. We don't just end up in the same old box that we once were. He doesn't just give us an old look, return us like an antique garment to a condition that we'd already been earlier in our lives. God actually does something greater, greater than this for his people, than just change us cosmetically like an old dress. God doesn't just restore us. God refines us. God treasures, he refines us. Talk about the difference. God actually removes all our impurities and the unwanted elements from within us. We hear this word refined often, 
don't we? It's example, uh, for example, it's attached to some food products. For example, refined sugar, as in the average American, consumes between 150 to 170 pounds of refined sugar in one year, and that's true, by the way. Uh, you'd think, I don't know why, you'd think that that would make that sugar okay to eat. After all, its impurities have been removed. What's the matter? The sugar's refined. But I've been told that doesn't help the matter much. Um, eating all the refined sugar a person could possibly want is, is, is not going to help things. Possibly a closer idea to what we mean by saying God refines us lies in some other common usages. A uh, typical dictionary uh, might describe a refined person as one who has, quote, good manners and good taste. Yet God's refining process uh, goes far beyond uh, man our manners, our taste. We're not talking about God turning us into connoisseurs of modern art. Nobody understands that anyway. The Bible says when God refines us, we're made the equivalent of gold and silver. Why? Why gold and silver? This is the way God sees us. This is the way he's seen us all along. Let's look at our text today. It's from Malachi chapter 3, and we'll read the first five verses to see how this is true. We've been talking about Malachi, uh, Malachi meaning God's messenger. The name actually means my messenger. Malachi writes the following here, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. One more verse, verse 5. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust side aside the sojourner, and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Wow, verse 5 is kind of a mouthful. That's the end of our text this morning. But if you're lost now in some imagery, maybe thinking about that song we sang earlier, Refiner's Fire, let's dig in deeper. Before we talk about the refining process for God's people, let's first discuss this future messenger, referenced back in verse 1. This uh, individual is important to God's plan. The text says, again, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And we've established again that Malachi is God's messenger, not just in name but in calling, but Malachi is that the messenger found in verse 1. Bit of a spoiler here, we won't know the identity of God's messenger in this text until Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. If you've got a Bible open, you can jump over there quickly if you'd like. 
Who's the messenger? Chapter 4, verse 5. You, you can say it, you can just say it out loud, somebody. Elijah. Elijah. Elijah is the correct answer. Uh, I would also accept John the Baptist for a thousand points. Later in the New Testament, in Matthew 11, verses 13 and 14, the Elijah who Malachi says is the coming messenger of God, Elijah's coming, we, we, we find out later, uh, is fulfilled by the arrival of John the Baptist. Malachi actually predicts a metaphorical Elijah, not the man of the Old Testament. Uh, it's interesting. I understand that Hasidic Jews that uh, still try to practice this Old Testament Judaism will still leave an empty chair at Passover celebration just in case Elijah shows up. It's unfortunate they didn't accept John the Baptist a couple thousand years ago in his place. But more important than the messenger, this Elijah figure or John the Baptist who, quote, prepares the way before me is the coming of the, quote, Lord whom we seek. Verse 1. Who is the Lord whom we seek? Who we all seek? who will do all this refining. God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of our text is a direct reference to the first coming of Jesus Christ. 400 years later. Verse 2 warns us, however, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like Fuller's soap. Well, part of Christ's process of refining you is purifying you. Hence, the Fuller's soap part of our text, verse 3. Let's talk about Fuller's soap for a moment, uh, what this part of the text is about. What's the significance here? What does this mean? Here's a modern parallel, perhaps. Most of you are aware of the fact that uh, my family and I, we have a couple schnauzers. Some of you are thinking, right, preacher, we've seen the outside of your house too. What do you have, about 15 cats? And to answer this, my daughter is kind of the cat whisperer, and so we have this policy. If you find the cat, if we love the cat, if we feed the cat, we fix the cat, okay? But the schnauzers, uh, Abby and Maggie, are indoor pets, uh, except for when they go out in the front. Uh, we've got this fenced-in area so they can do what schnauzers do. But on occasion, they, they don't make it. They just don't make it out there. One is still a puppy. We're still learning. And sometimes Maggie doesn't make it outside. And so we have an accident there on the breezeway floor. Now, I don't mean to sound like a commercial break, but truly nothing removes the sight and the smell of that stuff from the flooring like a big mop and a little bleach and some hot water. Really does the trick. Really does the trick. My wife's giving me a look like, where are you going off on here? <laughs> Was this post-medicine, Josh, or what did you... I've tried all kinds of cleaners, right? Nothing else does the trick. I did mistake the one time, I did uh, make a mistake one time and forget to add the hot water, and I don't recommend that. I think I killed three of the neighbor's animals from that. <laughs> Some fun facts here. 1785, chlorine for bleaching was first suggested for use by a French chemist named Claude uh, Berthollet uh, by, uh, I probably didn't pronounce that right. By 1799, a Scottish chemist named Charles McIntosh invented bleaching powder, which was the first of the chemical bleaches on the market. And in 2018, it's pretty cool because you can go down to Dollar General right in Vesterberg and buy a small bottle of liquid bleach for buck 90. So it turns out this has become a modern convenience item, right? Many commentators are of the opinion, 
I have a, I do have a point here. Um, many commentators are of the opinion that the fuller soap referenced in our text in verse 2 was used 400 years before Jesus was even born for the purpose of bleaching. One translation will use the phrase cleansing lie. So when Jesus gets a hold of us, what does he do? He cleanses us of all impurity, right? And it's easier on our system than, than bleach, I would assume. White as snow, amen. Every spot of sin, every hint of impurity is taken away. In, in our text, Malachi is telling God's people about the grace uh, that is coming, that is drawing nigh. God incarnate 400 years later, all because God's people are treasured by God. Treasured by God enough to be refined as a part of this process we're purified. But only commercial bleach or the modern equivalent of fuller soap can clean up the stain of doggy on the parsonage breezeway floor. And only the blood of Jesus, the biblical equivalent, can clean up the stain of sin in my messy life. Amen. So it's good to, good to think of it in this way with the language that's being used. But our Lord is also uh, sitting uh, as a refiner. Verse 3, our Lord is like a refiner's fire. This is the other imagery we receive here uh, of that which he treasures, his people. He, he cleans us up, but again, we're also changed. In fact, the only way for us to, quote, bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord, verse 3, which are pleasing to the Lord, verse 4, is to endure the refiner's fire. I don't know if I like the sound of that as much as uh, the fuller soap. We actually have to be placed in the refiner's fire. Now, if this sounds terrifying to us this morning, as in, wait a minute, I, I thought being covered in the blood of Jesus meant I was spared from fire. It's good to note that the text here compares the Lord to a refiner's fire. John Piper writes, it does not say in verse 2 that God is like a forest fire or like an incinerator's fire uh, where a forest fire will destroy indiscriminately. An incinerator consumes completely. What does a refiner's fire do? It melts down the bar of silver or gold, separates out the impurities that ruin its value, burns them up, and it leaves the silver, leaves the gold intact. Malachi 3, verse 3, should be a tremendous word of hope for us, for God's people. The fire of the Lord is for refinement, not destruction. Paraphrasing Piper a minute, uh, minute more here. If the blessed are the pure in heart who shall see God, as our Lord tells us, then God must make us this way, must refine us. Now, the imagery runs even deeper, but I think it's important that we understand why the prophet is using the illustration that he does in our text. So, so just stick with me here another moment. The illustration of Jehovah God as a fire and his utilizing fire in verse 2 would have been significant to the Jewish hearers of Malachi's message. You might remember, if you don't remember, I'll, I'll throw out the scripture references. Back in Deuteronomy 4, Verse 24. Uh, also, Deuteronomy 9, verse 23. God is identified as what, do you remember? As a consuming fire. As a consuming fire. God tends to work this way. 
And do you remember the Lord? The Lord sends fire in the confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on on Mount Carmel. You remember in 1 Kings chapter 18? The prophet Isaiah speaks of the tongue of the Lord as a devouring fire in Isaiah 30, 27. This prophet also says of the godless, who of us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Isaiah 33, 14. And so much later, when John the Baptist, our aforementioned messenger, speaks of Jesus in Matthew 3, 11, he says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. With the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3.12, he goes on to talk about his winnowing fork, how he's going to clear the threshing floor, the chaff he will burn, God will burn with unquenchable fire. Can we get the idea? Consuming fire is the way the Lord works. This message would have made a lot of sense to the hearers of the day. Fire is how God is identified in Scripture. And for some... There is his fire that is refining and purifying for his people, God's people, Malachi 2, verse 2 and 3, because we have hope in him to refine us. But for other people, there's a different kind of fire. There's the fiery judgment of hell. This is the part that isn't pretty. It's identified in verse 5, and let's jump back to there again. What does he say? I will draw near to you for judgment. And we have a list here. A list here, sorcerers, adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who oppress, those who are oppressive of the hired worker and the widow and the fatherless, those who thrust aside the sojourner or the alien to the land, those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Ultimately, all those who are without the grace of God, those who are without the blood of Jesus, everyone who does not live for God's glory, for those the Lord has prepared a different kind of fire. We hear about it again in Revelation, 20th chapter. What I love about our text today, our our text from Malachi, is at first, at first glance, this text may seem uh, rather insignificant. And yet, this is the gospel. This is the gospel message of the New Testament found near the closing pages of the old. Right here, heaven and hell, and how to avoid the latter in God's grace. It's right here in this Old Testament passage. And by the way, I I know that uh, some people think that heaven and hell, these ideas of eternal glory and damnation for individuals are New Testament concepts. Uh, Skeptics might say, we don't hear anything about them until Jesus. And then he just sort of comes up with them in Matthew 25. The church invented these concepts later to scare people. They were never in the original Bible. And if someone says that kind of nonsense to you, take them to Malachi. Take him to Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Here's the gospel. The Lord is a consuming fire. And verse 6 goes on to say he does not change. Amen? The 20th century philosopher Mick Jagger. (laughs) You never know what I'm going to say at the end of that, do you? I love it. Once saying, don't you play with me because you're playing with fire. And what's interesting is when we think of the way our triune God is revealed in Scripture, this lyric can speak of no mortal man, but only he who treasures and refines the ones who love him. 
But what's, what's the end result of, of all this refining? There's, a, there's an old story told that it perhaps best answers this question. A ladies' group named the uh, Daughters of Barians would meet regularly at the church building for Bible study. And one evening, uh, while reading through the third chapter of Malachi, they came upon this verse 3, where they stopped at the phrase, He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And at this point in their meeting, a great discussion broke out regarding uh, the significance of the text. Uh, one lady from the group, her opinion was that the text was indeed meant to illustrate the way Jesus works in a person's life, the way he cleans us up, so to speak. And she took it upon herself to visit a silversmith, someone who works with uh, the material and report back to the group what he had to say about his work in regards to the end result. Now, upon arrival, without telling the silversmith about the scriptural reference, she asked about the process of refining silver. The silversmith was more than happy to describe his work to her in full. But, sir, she said, do you sit while the work of refining is going on? Why, yes, ma'am, replied the silversmith, absolutely. I must stay right there, be right there with it. My eye firmly fixed on the furnace. He went on, if the time necessary for refining is exceeded by even a moment, the silver I'm refining could be destroyed. Timing is everything. At that moment, his visitor began thinking more about the significance, the implications of Malachi chapter 3, verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. It was comforting to her to think of God being ever-present always there in her life with a steady eye on the work of refining, of shaping her. That even she could be placed into a fire for the process of transformation. But she knew her refiner and she knew he wouldn't leave her, but in fact kept his very eye on her the entire time the heat was on. She was then reminded of God's words from Isaiah 43 too, another text which the group had studied recently. This was a text from the Lord which said, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And at that point, she felt the Holy Spirit nudging at her in that silversmith's shop that no matter how difficult circumstances could be in her life, everything would be okay in the end. She loved God. To those who love the Lord, no matter how uncomfortable it could be in the refiner's fire, they couldn't be in any better hands. Lost in her thoughts, the woman was quiet for a moment. The story continues, and then she asked of the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? How can you tell when your work is done? And the silversmith smiled at her and replied, that's easy. When I can see my own image in it. When I can see my own image in it. And my friends, if, if you're Christian, if, if you're a believer, if you're in the will of God, if you serve God, if you follow God, you're a treasure being refined by God himself. 
with the intended result that you reflect his image. That's when the Bible speaks of predestination, that's what it's talking about. This has been, been planned for a while from God's plan from creation that you look like Jesus, Romans 8, 29. But let me ask you, when the heat is on in your life, do you ever think, do you ever allow the thought, perhaps God is allowing this to make me a little more like him? Maybe there's a reason why I'm enduring this right now. Is it possible that God is willing for me to conform to the one who took all the heat for me so that I wouldn't have to suffer eternally? Sometimes we feel like saying my circumstances are just burning me up, right? But I can promise you that the one who made you isn't far from you in times of trial. And you can trust God when you're in the hot seat. And this has been a comforting text for me uh, this week uh, with some of my uh, physical health issues since January. I think back over the course of this year and uh, not trying to whine or complain. Most of you know the details of uh, some of the struggles that my family and I have had this year. Uh, I think back through uh, uh, the eye stroke and being blind, being semi-blind and uh, you know, receiving some shots, and the day after uh, getting a, you know, good clean report from the ophthalmologist, uh, being admitted to the hospital with diverticulitis, and then being on sort of a wild goose chase trying to figure out what was wrong with me, uh, at, you know, uh, in, in having a col colonoscopy, uh, that was, that was a, quite a notable experience in my life, I must say. <laughs> the day before it, there's probably another forum for this conversation, though, we can have that elsewhere. You're thinking, praise the Lord. Three months, four visits to the ER, five CT scans later, finally an MRI has revealed these uh, bulging discs, pinched nerve. I've talked with some of you that have uh, fought similar conditions or that have, uh, are in the same situation yourself. Um, have a four-year-old daughter that's looking at having uh, her left kidney removed here in a couple of weeks. Do you think the question has crossed my mind just once this year? You know, where are you, God? What's going on? I'm serving you. I'm following you. I'm, as far as I can tell, I'm doing, I'm doing all that I can. I'm, I'm really trying, Lord. But it's getting a little hot in here. Might not completely take away my pain, but you know what God's word does? It helps to explain it for me a little provides me with some comfort to know that the refiner hasn't left me to boil over on the hot plate. And my God hasn't gone anywhere, but he's been here right with me all the time, and I don't really know what he's doing, but I know he knows what he's doing. And should you also find yourselves in trying circumstances or situations where you too wonder what the one who treasures you is up to as you're keeping yourself busy trying to fan those flames, ask yourself the question, what's Gold to you. Sounds like kind of a funny question. Almost sounds like we could have a game show. What's gold to you? But seriously, not changing the subject. What's gold to you? What do you treasure? Is it your family or your friends? What's gold to you? Your, your job, your possessions, your, your standing in the community? Maybe your uh, hunting gear collection or your vacation time or, or a 12-pack in a fishing hole. What's gold to you? Is it your relationship with the refiner? 
not trying to turn this into a sermon on idolatry, but I'm just curious what's most valuable in your life. Because knowing that you're worth gold to the eternal goldsmith might just make that refining process called life a little easier to bear. What do you treasure? Well, God treasures you, and he's got you. And you've got to just hang on to him, especially in those times when you don't know what he's up to. He's the only one who truly sees what you are worth. I'd like to conclude this morning with uh, uh, this morning's message with a few words I borrowed from uh, uh, another preacher of the word. I find these so appropriate this morning. He writes, uh, gold is extremely uh, malleable. This means it can be worked easily, changed, if you will. Uh, gold is so malleable that a single ounce of gold can be beaten out into a thin film less than uh, one out of 282 thousandth of an inch thick. That's tiny. But it could also be beaten out to cover a hundred square feet. And, and gold uh, is also so uh, uh, ductile or able to be stretched. I actually got online and, and looked up how to pronounce that. I'm so glad. I think I said it right. Gold is so, so, so ductile, uh, one ounce can be drawn into a, f- a fine wire a hundred miles long. Wow. The question for each one of us this morning is, can we put ourselves in the hands of God and be that way? Allow ourselves to be worked over. Allow ourselves to be stretched. Step aside from running our own lives and let him take over and trust the refiner. He concludes, the refiner stands, heating the furnace, ready to purify us and make some beautiful thing out of us, unquote. But he's not going to stop until we look like him. He's not going to stop until we look like him. So have you ever treasured something so much that you'd, you'd go to great lengths to mend it? Should it, something happen to it along the way? Brothers and sisters, our God is doing just that. Doing just that so that we, as this message from the prophet Malachi says, can endure the day of his coming. We're not ready yet. He's doing the work right now to prepare us. So today, you and I can look to Jesus Christ, the man, God incarnate, his arms outstretched as he calls to each one of us, his people to follow him, and brothers and sisters in him, We're not only treasured, but we're also refined. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning I'm reminded of more of your word. I'm reminded of the response. The only response that we can have to you, Lord, in our time of need. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not our text today, O Lord, but uh, your word, all of your word speaks to us in times that can make some uh, changes, can influence and affect us. And I thank you. I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that those times in our lives that seem the most difficult, 
we follow you, Lord. That we are encouraged, we're convicted, we're humbled, that we're we're reinforced to hang on tighter to you and draw closer. Because, Lord, there's so many alternatives in this world to hanging on to you. But only you know us. Only you love us. Only you treasure us. Only you can change us. And Lord, that change isn't always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be a pretty sight. It's not always going to be what we want for ourselves. It's not always going to feel good. Lord, help us to trust you. No matter what's going on, Lord, you won't let go of us. Your love doesn't change. You treasure us. You value us. And Lord, I just pray that we would take this word, your word that stands, that is still relevant today. And that we remember, Lord, that there's a lot of people around us. Eight billion people on this planet, Lord. And there's only a a small group of these people that will know you as the refiner. Help us, Lord, to have compassion and to value others too, to value them as you do, to be convicted that we know you and to not stop there with the message, but to take it on to those that at this point, Lord, would only know you as consuming. Lord, your word stands. We have two options. We have two choices in this life. To grab a hold of your grace or to be consumed. Help us, Lord, to draw closer and to draw to others so that they would draw closer too. Lord, I I don't understand why, why you treasure us, why you value us, why you love us, but you do. And I thank you. I thank you for your love that you have for for each person in this room. Each person here, you treasure, you value. Each one of them has a place, has a potential place in your kingdom. Thank you for that. And I just pray that we we would all draw closer to you as the day of your coming back for us draws near. Thank you for refining us. In the name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. And again, Scripture scripture tells us, it's quite clear to us. The first step that we must make, bring ourselves to that altar. Bring ourselves to those waters. Go down into those waters of baptism. Come out a new creature. Begin that journey with the Lord. And if you haven't done that, We'd like to invite you to come forward. There's another decision that uh, you'd like to make this morning that the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Uh, Maybe you've you've, uh, stopped seeing the Lord as someone who refines and um, you've lost your way a little bit and and you'd like to rededicate yourselves to Him. Um, We invite you to come forward 
or if uh, you'd like to place your membership with us here at Ferris Church of Christ. If you're a baptized believer and you just want to say, hey, I want to worship with these people and uh, live with these people and sin with these people, uh, if you have a public decision you'd like to make, uh, we're going to stand and sing, oh, come to the altar and find someone there that treasures you to make you like him. Stand and sing.